Welcome back, everybody, to Chaldean News Radio. This is episode 7. Today, we're going to be bringing something a little different to you. Our editor, Sarah Kittle, got an exclusive interview with Dr. Tarek Sobe, who is the newly appointed president of Lawrence Tech University. Um, this interview was recorded some time ago, but we still thought it was worth sharing to all of our listeners. Dr. Sobe is. Uh, truly an eminent voice in higher education. In this conversation, he talks a lot about the tech industry and education, the the radically different approach that Lawrence Tech follows, as well as the rapidly changing job market and some even make some predictions about technologies that we can expect uh, in the next few decades. Um, also, CN Radio has a big announcement uh, first of all, we now have a YouTube channel, which you can find by searching YouTube for Chaldean News and looking for our black and white logo in the in the photo, the avatar of the channel. Um, we've also invested significantly into the podcast. After hearing your feedback, uh, we decided to upgrade our equipment so that we can have more guests with us while we maintain the same sound quality and uh, really do it professionally. So that's going to be great. Um, Please look forward to all that and much more. We have more announcements coming soon and some very interesting projects for our readers, listeners, and watchers. So keep an eye out. With that, let's jump right into the interview. Okay, so now I'm just going to start asking questions. Okay, Dr. Soap? Absolutely good. Okay. So first of all, congratulations uh, on, on becoming the, the, you know, taking office of president. That's, that's huge. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a great uh, ride so far. I started in January, so I'm only six months into the job. But fortunately, I was at LTU for the previous, you know, 16 months or so as a vice president of Provost. So the transition has been relatively seamless. Thank you for your kind wishes. It is good to hear that it's seamless. Your predecessor called you innovative, direct, and driven and said that you've already accomplished much in a short time. Do you know what he's referring to there? No idea. <laughs> no, it's been uh, Verinder, of course, uh, Dr. Mudgel uh, has been a transformative leader at the helm of LTU for 10 years. And, and it was a pleasure working with him for, you know, albeit so briefly, only for a little bit more than a year. But, but I've had a chance to work with my colleagues during that one and a half years or, or less before transitioning and after the search process led me to, uh, you know, led me to, to be the president. We, we did incredible things, actually, in the, during these one and a half years. We came up with great innovate, innovative programming, and I mean degree programs and professional development and interdisciplinary R&D research centers and such in areas like artificial intelligence, industry 4.0, cardiovascular perfusion, to, to, to name a few, uh, in, in addition to ramping up really our activities across the campus. Uh, in sponsored research, institutional grants, foundation support for innovative collaboration with high schools and middle schools, expanding our dual enrollment program, uh, which is basically offering classes in high schools, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, to entice and excite students about going into STEM fields. We increased that number from 250 to close to 1,000 in the short period. Uh, so we, we've done some very cool things actually, and uh, and 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 you know, we we also are have gone a long way towards rebranding the university. The university is incredibly unique, as you probably know, Sarah. It's one of 13 technological universities that are comprehensive, doctoral, and private in the whole country out of 6,000 institutions of higher learning. Truly, truly unique. And, and, and I, I mean, out of 6,000 institutions, there are only 56 that are technologically focused institutions, and only half of them are comprehensive, meaning ones that offer all the majors but assure the students graduate from these measures very technologically savvy. Uh, and we're one of these 28, and we, out of these 28, are 13 private institutions. Some of them, you know, well, like the MIT and Caltech and mm. RTI, Lawrence Tech, WPI, and, 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 and six or seven others. So it's a very unique institution, and, and you know, our, our outcomes are simply world-class in terms of things like employment and co-op and internships and starting salaries. Uh, and, you know, during that uh, last couple of years, both while serving as the province and vice president and, and now as the president, uh, I've worked with incredible and very, very, very highly qualified colleagues here to come up with cutting-edge programming, you know, that is interdisciplinary, that is needed for industry in the 21st century. And uh, we've been able to pull that very fast and uh, graduated wonderful students who are eminently qualified and the skills that industry need. I think that's what he was talking about. So <laughs> yeah, there's a few, um, I was given a few names of some um, community members who are graduates such as Jamal Calabat, Victor mm -hmm. Soroki, Oh, Victor is like, architecture, um, sure. Randy Najar, mm -hmm. and Dom Dabish. Is he? He actually works there, I believe. I I'm, I'm not sure, but of course, mm -hmm. Victor, at least amongst the names that you mentioned, is uh, an, an an incredible colleague and a and a very good friend. And actually, Victor, believe it or not, uh, he's. Uh, one of the main suspects and one of the main reasons that uh, after the nine months uh, search for a president, I was hired. He was actually uh, leading the, he is of course one of our very valuable trustees. Uh, and uh, he actually was uh, tasked by the trustees uh, uh, to, to lead the, the, the search uh, uh, that led to the, to the job, you know, the nine months national search. So he's to be blamed, Sarah, let's put it this way. <laughs> or at how, least, how do you no. know Victor? How do you know Victor, Dr. So? He's a trustee of the university. I, mm -hmm. you know, oh, OK. So you knew yeah. him as you, in your role as provost. You knew him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, after I joined as provost, of course, you know, I interacted a lot with the trustees. I mean, they are mm -hmm. important. And, uh, and I got to, to know him amongst the other great colleagues on the board. And then uh, when, the, when the president uh, retired and, and the committee was formed to, to go through the hundreds of applications and nominations for the presidency. He was selected to actually lead the, the committee of 20 or so individuals who were responsible. So, so again, if something wrong happens, he is to blame. He was one of the <laughs> main reasons. He's a, and, and of course, he's incredibly supportive of the university and of our students and, and, and so on. So, 
Yeah, and he's incredibly successful as well. So it's a great success story for a graduate. 100%, absolutely, absolutely. It's hard to believe there's only 28 technological universities. Well, there are 56, 28 of them uh -huh. are comprehensive, meaning they offer okay. lots of majors. And actually it's kind of interesting because they, the, the country is home to 6,000 of these, right? Uh -huh. So for there to be less than 1% in the 21st century, right? The universities that are technologically focused, it's kind of sad, actually. When you think it's, hard, it. it's hard to believe. It is, it is. It there's is. no doubt that that's the way we're, the direction we're moving in. <clears throat> it, it's very strange. You know how I found out this tidbit of information? Mm. Uh, so after living in Connecticut for, you know, 25 years, I mean, I, I worked in, of course, my prior institution, University of Bridgeport in Connecticut for 25 years or so. And I worked before that in the University of Utah and uh, Phillips Research Labs after graduation from University of Pennsylvania with my PhD. Um, anyway, towards the end of my years, I was dean at that time and, and you know, the executive vice president of the university in, in, in early 19, in early 2020. Family situation changed and, and kids grew up, so we were open to geographically locating from New England. Uh, and I started looking at the opportunities like a provost or a president, you know, either a provost or a president in other universities at that stage of my career. And, I, and I, I'm a roboticist by training. You, you might know that uh, that's mm -hmm. my area of expertise, professionally, uh, technically. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be in a university that's very technologically focused. As you said, we're in the 21st mm -hmm. century. Most of the jobs in all disciplines require technological skills, obviously, to, for success. And things are moving incredibly fast in all the disciplines when it comes to technology. So I thought out of these 6,000 universities, there would be a few hundred, right, that are technologically focused by mission, vision, and, and name, right? And when I started doing my very concise and precise and comprehensive search, you know, for an employer, you know, I, I, I was stunned. Less than 1% of the universities in the country, less than 1% were that, right? And, and I also wanted to go to university that's not really a glorified school of engineering. I wanted to go to a comprehensive university that has all the measures, but assures that students come out technologically serving each one. So for example, here, I mean, our architecture students, they learn 3D printing of houses. They learn, you know, virtual game, gaming and gaming design. They, they study uh, robotics application and architecture and construction, for example. So they come out with that technological edge as architects, right? Our health sciences students, they come out very well trained in areas like telemedicine and bioinformatics and robotic surgery, etc. So they have the technological edge as healthcare uh, givers. Our business students, they learn IT, cybersecurity, and, you know, forensic accounting, data analytics and business intelligence applications. So again, they come out from the business majors very technologically savvy. And that's what I was looking for, a university that's comprehensive, right, offering all of the disciplines all the way from bachelor's to phd but again with that emphasis you know technology and and out of the 56 by name vision and mission universities there were only half of them half less than half a percent 28 that had that comprehensivity of disciplines and also laterally from bachelor's to phd 
and I, I was not built to work in public anything, you know, public uh, government or public universities. I was looking for a private school and it was even more, it was worse. It was only 13 that were private, you know, the ones that you can move fast in and be agile and so on. And actually my job search failed, Sarah. There was no jobs available in these 13 at the level of provost or president initially after I finished that research. Uh, but then, you know, karma interfered. A recruiter called me a couple of months later saying that uh, the promise position was open. But yeah, your comment is right on the market. It's very sad in the, in the age of technology and the dependence on STEM and all of what we do in, in jobs for there to be only that very small number of institutions that actually embrace that as a mission and a vision, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, you're talking about the medical profession. I mean, the, the, the technology is is integral to that to that field. I mean, with robotic surgeries and and things like that, I just it's it's no, amazing. It's, it's it's fascinating. I mean, when you really think about it, Sarah. I mean, my, my own son, my oldest son, is a physician. He's an OBGYN. He works at Yale at, at, in Connecticut, and and. I remember well when he was going into uh, residency, right? After finishing medical school, he was contemplating different fields, right? Mm -hmm. Go into for residency. Uh, so, you know, I, I remember at that time, I was just trying to talk with him, seeing what he's thinking. And one of the disciplines that was on the table for him thinking about, despite the fact that he was leaning very much towards OBGYN, was radiology, right? And And, you know, and I mean, after talking about it with them for a little, we kind of came to the conclusion that that's a field that's going to disappear mm. completely, except for maybe, you know, uh, 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 interventional, certain specific aspects of interventional radiology, not even all. Because basically, he does it at the end of the day, when you're talking about good radiologists, right? You know, physicians who, who read and, and do, you know, radiology. Whether it's an, a CAT scan or an MRI or an X-ray, good doctors usually are the ones who've seen and went through the experience of, of diagnosis and looking through hundreds, if not thousands of these. And that enables them to do the right diagnosis, right? I mean, the more experienced, the more- Right, right. They know, they know when something You become out. a more experienced doctor. Okay, and, and talking about technology. Well, when you have an artificial intelligence, you know, expert system trained in computer vision and, and imaging and, and trained on machine learning, via uh, uh, machine learning to, uh, to do pattern recognition and image recognition that has went through not thousands or 10,000s, but a billion different, you know, cases and have learned the right diagnosis that happened for each one of them. There is no better radiologist it will be able to actually diagnose automatically immediately any CAT scan or MRI or X-ray because it simply has seen it all and trained on it, right? That so, makes sense. <laughs> you no, know, it's the reality. That's what's happening. So there are jobs like that, right? Uh, robotic surgery, same thing, uh, you know, uh, you know, and it requires, you know, robotics and automation and different fields merging in an interdisciplinary way to make surgeons able to tele-autonomously control these robotic, you know, surgeons, the, these Da Vinci, you know, machines, and they are going to be 10, if not hundreds of times more accurate and precise than the human finger and what we can do with our fingers 
and it would be much, much less invasive and the entry wounds for very complicated surgeries are going to be, and they are starting to be incredibly right. small, which lessens the opportunity for things like infection. And, and that's the way it is. So this will be in all surgeries, the way to go in the future. Uh, other, other things, I mean, again, diagnosis, artificial intelligence is definitely incredibly involved in, in, in things like that within the medical field. The idea of personalized medicine, when, you know, in the future, you know, 30, 40 years from now, you're not going to be going to the supermarket to, to buy aspirin or a leave or, or you know, or, or Tylenol. Uh, every medicine will be tailored based on your own genetics to be most effective for you as a human being. And you will have capabilities of having your own medicine on the fly in your own house manufactured for you by have, knowing your genes. So your aspirin is going to be the aspirin for Sarah, which is incredibly effective for Sarah and built on your own genes versus something generic off the shelf that might not work so well for you. And that's not only for you know prescription drugs, but anything that you take. And that will be the medicine of the future. So there'll but, be no more over-the-counter drugs? No, no, absolutely not. Everything will be based on you most efficient for you. And that will not be only in medicine, but in education. People learn differently, right? We all know that. Absolutely. Why, why do we all have to go to the same class and learn the same way if everyone were, you know, were, you know, learns completely differently? Some are visual learners, some are by hand, some are by practice, some are by writing. And, and, and you know, there is a good way to learn for everyone. And with hybrid learning, systems that are artificial intelligence driven people will be individually learning at their own pace in the most effective way for them etc etc so it's a you know even area of simple things medical record keeping and cross-referencing and bioinformatics and 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 so on i mean that that will be that will be a transformative field uh, decoding the, the genome and, i mean the the, the, the the advances just within the health sciences field, both clinically and you know, and from the point of view of uh, of of understanding the human body and reverse engineering the brain and so on and so forth, we're doing it right now. It's going to be a completely different field. The concept of manual labor even is going to disappear in the future. Uh, I mean, you're sitting in a great office, and I'm sitting in a wonderful office built by people with their hand manually, right? Why the heck is that going to be the case 30 years from now when you have autonomous unmanned air vehicles that are capable of putting concrete blocks and other autonomous vehicles that was concrete and other humanoid robots that come in and put the sheet rock, et cetera, et cetera, right? Or even better, you know, ways of using things like concrete and other material for 3D printing houses, as opposed to having a 3D printer in your own office, it's gonna be a larger one, you know, controlled by robotic manipulators. That job is gonna go away. It will disappear because there is no need to go through that effort. And, and, and the same applies to other manufacturing processes. The, the whole concept of manual labor, Sarah, is disappearing from the universe. Maybe not in mine or own or your lifetime, and this is not science fiction, this is actually happening, but maybe in our children's lifetime or grandchildren. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean the jobs are gonna disappear. No, they actually will be need for more jobs 
but these jobs will be to program these machinery better and to, to derive more cool applications and to improve the human condition and our level of happiness. And you know, that, that, that's what this will allow. But the bottom line, as a worker of the future, if you're not technologically trained, you're lost, right? Because that's what the universe is going to be about. And it doesn't, sure. matter. Yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're a, in the construction business or the architecture or the health sciences field or the business field. I mean, business field. Why, why are people even worrying about having accountants do their taxes? Does that even make any sense anymore? I mean, if you have all of your expenses and everything is electronically reserved, you should be able of a click of a button, have an automated AI expert system, do the best possible computation to get you the best possible deduction set and do your taxes and file it automatically without you even having to worry about entering numbers, let alone, you know, hiring an accountant or a CPA, right? I like uh, that. I mean, what's technology for if not to make our lives easier and to improve our quality of life? The whole, the whole idea of things like driving, I mean, I mean, I don't like driving in general because I think it's an incredible waste of time. Unless it's for a pleasurable purpose, but but I mean, think about it, right. I mean, the average person, you know, within this region of the country, probably drives at least an hour a day. In many cases, more than that, just to get back and, and from work. Imagine the when everything is autonomous and everything will become autonomous. I mean, that's not a, an if; that's gonna happen. Right. And, and actually it's going to be incredibly safer because everything, when everything is autonomous, the, the human factors go out of the equation and, and these cars communicate well and no accidents are, are going to ever happen. It's actually safer than, you know, having a mix of autonomous and regularly. So anyway, at the end of the day, any trip, any commute that you have, how much additional time does that give you a week? to relax and don't worry about the driving conditions. And, you know, you don't even, you can use it if you want to work that time too. So it doesn't become Buddha time or you can enjoy yourself, <laughs> listen to music or watch a great movie or, you know, or learn something new or learn a new language or finish that book that you've been trying to finish and could, you know. So everything is going in that direction. But the bottom line again is, talking about Lawrence Tech and our own vision for the future and my own vision. Bottom line is, you know, the model of education that's classically dispensed in higher education is not really sustainable anymore, right? I mean, the whole concept of, you know, of, of you know, families and, and, and you know, and, and, and students investing tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in higher education and ending up, up with the student or the child graduating and sitting in the basement for a couple of years after graduation without finding a job and, uh, you know, getting their first job after a couple of years for 40 or $30,000, which is not living wage, obviously, yeah. is, is, not, is not the future. The future is to graduate professionals, people with these type of skills, people with these interdisciplinary technological skills across so many different disciplines. So they can be productive and proficient members of society going forward and be able to earn a living wage upon graduation, which is in this time and age is definitely not less than a $60,000 a year, no matter where you live in this country. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the conversation is shifting. I mean, higher education is beginning to recognize that some majors and degrees 
that they're offering are not providing students with the skills that these students need to function and be proficient members of the workforce of the 21st century, 21st century, which is going to be very technologically focused, which going to be, which is going to be built on skills acquired versus courses, studies, or degree names, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that's really the key, you know. I mean, look at my own discipline, you know, robotics and automation. What is that? Is that mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or computer science or mathematics, actually? Because all of these disciplines- and it's all of it, right? right? Mechanical engineering, building the actual dynamics and studying it and the, and the machinery and the manipulators or the UAVs or the moving platforms or the underwater autonomous thing. That's mechanical and manufacturing. The controllers, the sensors, the actuators, the motors, that's electrical engineering. Okay taking a look at all of these inputs from the autonomous cars or the robotic manipulators and decoding all of these sensory or visual data from the cameras or laser range finders on these robots and machinery. That's actually electrical and computer engineering and also computer science, right? So you can analyze the data and code it and implement AI and algorithms and so on that would analyze it. What about the geometric design of these manipulators? That's actually mathematical geometric design, right? So mathematics is involved. And if this machinery is to compensate for disabilities and, you know, or our prosthesis, for example, then you actually need to learn biomedical engineering and human physiology and quantitative physiology and anatomy so you can produce the right robotic devices, you know, for amputees, for example. So you need that additional knowledge to produce them too, on top of everything else. And if these robots are going to be functioning in very tough environments, then the materials from which these, you know, manipulators or airplanes or whatever have to be carefully studied so they can provide energy so you know for example so you know they can move further and further what is that even called right well it doesn't matter it's all about the skills right so it's not really about degree names anymore it's about the skills acquired during the your educational journey we're preparing students for job titles that don't even exist right that's great. I'm glad I'm recording this. No, seriously. I mean, what, what, I mean, I mean, do you know what the job titles are going to be in 10, 15 years? We do not. Was there a job title called autonomous car engineer 10 years ago? Was there a job title called social media marketer 20 years ago? Was uh, there a nope. job title called augmented reality designer for games five years ago? Was there a job title called nanotechnologist? None, right? So who the heck knows, you know, 10 years from now what the job titles will be. But the bottom line is, if they are cross-trained across so many disciplines and they have the skills, the coding skill, the deep thinking yeah. analysis skills, the professional skills, the team work skills, the quantitative skills, the science, technology, engineering, and math skills, and reasonable broad background and breadth of knowledge, that will enable them to learn the skills needed needed in this evolving workforce of the future. Companies don't care about what the name of the degree is, especially the companies that are agile, especially the medium and small size companies. Uh -huh. companies they care what you can do. Right. Exactly. They don't care whether your degree is called, you know, X, Y, or Z. No, what they care is that you have the skills to make you function. I just read GM like a couple of days ago, maybe today I can't even remember anymore. 
a change in policy, it's not even going to require a four-year degree anymore to work at GM. Can you believe? Well, they're not even. That's they're not yeah. requiring it. No, they want the skills. They want the person to know the controls and X and Y and Z, so they can work in the engineering part or the coding if they are in the analysis part or you know the electrical batteries and if they're going to be working on the actual EV battery component. So, and 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 that's that's really what's happening. Number one, the shortage is humongous. You, you know that, everyone knows that. We're not graduating enough STEM professionals in the US, yeah, but, but by, by any any measure, I mean, we're probably short at least a quarter million, if not half a million every year in terms of what the workforce and talent required for the jobs of the future that are now existing, you know, in science, uh -huh. technology, engineering, and math. That's the reality of higher education. And, and, and of course, the joke is they tell you all of these people are looking for jobs. How come they are not finding jobs while well, you have these 250 or 500,000 jobs available? Because they are not qualified for them. They don't have the skills for them. That's the big problem. We don't have a match between the four workforce who are training and getting out of the pipe through these 6,000 institutions of higher learning, including community colleges, and what industry wants. You can graduate the one or two million graduates every year, but if only you know, 200,000 of them are qualified for the jobs that are open out there that provide for a living wage, that are you know, within the STEM jobs of the future, then tough luck right, to the remaining 1.7 million who unfortunately don't have the skills to literally make a living wage. And it's a shame because you know, in the US, wasn't it always a proposition that high school enables you to get a job and then college gets you the middle class life yeah. and a happy life and being able to have a, a house and so on? Not true. Is somebody able to live in a, any state in the country if they graduate with a four-year degree and they can't get a job and their first job is a $40,000 job? I mean, really? I mean, that, that's impossible. Mathematically, that's impossible. It doesn't happen. So things are shifting. That's good to hear. You know, Dr. So, so obviously, up, yeah. obviously the fact that you're Middle Eastern is important to us, that you have Middle Eastern heritage, oh. right? <laughs> what are your goals for the Middle Eastern community and the Chaldean community specifically? Yeah, it's an honor. I mean, it really is an honor to be in, in this position. And actually it's a double honor being in this position in this region, to be very honest, because of the the amazing successes that I've seen within the Chaldean and the Middle Eastern community within this region. Uh, I, I do think I'm probably the only first generation Middle Eastern to be head of an American university in the history of the US, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, really interesting. It, it is, it is. Uh, yeah, but, uh, so I, my goals are actually simple. I, actually, I'll give you an anecdotal story, which is pretty cool. There are amazing academicians out there, Sarah, in the US who are Middle Eastern or of Middle Eastern origins and or Chaldean origins and or Arab origins. Or in my case, I'm Egyptian, as you know, of course, originally. Great academicians, wonderful, very highly accomplished professors in, in many, many fields. And some of them are shares, some of them are, you know, at the dean level, but fewer and fewer, not at, not at the president level. Very, very few, maybe one or two at the provost level, vice president. And um, when I, when I, when I, uh, when I was selected after the search to be the president earlier this year, the position that I was holding became vacant. 
Ukraine, the proudest vice president position. And uh, of course, I mean, it's a high level position, and one of one of the elite 13 such universities in the whole country. So we, we, we received hundreds of applications. Had a chance to scan through the applications from great professionals, right? Professors and deans and chairs of uh, great, you know, uh, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, great schools, credible schools, Ivy Leagues and others and so on. And, and I noticed something, and that something was there is a, and a very, very, very unusual high, high percentage of Middle Eastern last names and first names within the pool of, uh, of applicants. I was very surprised. I, I was very pleased, right? Very pleased and surprised. And, and I knew a few of the names, you know, academicians that I've known through my life living here in the U.S. for the last 35 plus years. And I got a few calls and, and I asked because, you know, it's very unusual for, you know, Middle Eastern academicians or Arabs or Chaldeans or uh, 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 Egyptians and so on to, to, to apply, you know, for, for positions at the level of province or president. And, and I, a few, few called me or sent me emails and, and I asked, and why, why, why are you interested? I mean, you've been, for example, some person X, whoever he or she is, uh, you, you've been, you know, great academician professor, what makes you suddenly aspire to be a, a provost of a major U.S. university? And the answer, you know, throughout most of these conversations were, when we saw that, you know, you were selected as the president, we, we became incredibly encouraged. We, we, we knew there is no more ceiling anymore. There is no problem. We can be wherever the heck we want. So we got encouraged and we want to do it, you know, and, and that was very uplifting, Sarah. I mean, I, I, I felt actually... I felt very proud, right? That uh, yeah, an inspiration. That's amazing. yeah, yeah. No, it, no, it's pretty cool. I mean, I felt very proud that that now, at least for a segment of our great colleagues and and you know and and, and wonderful academicians and and scientists and engineers and and researchers, now they know it's uh, there is no ceiling, right? You can be anything, and and we'll see more of that on a local level. Of course, my aspiration is to uh, also uh, hopefully entice more and more uh, Chaldean in particular, and of course, uh, Middle Eastern, you know, uh, students to join us here at LTU. Uh, LTU is an amazing institution. Uh, the education is top-notch. It is the exact type of education that industry needs and or for progression to graduate programs. This is the university that actually had the highest starting salary upon graduation amongst all the schools in Michigan, private and public. Our starting salary last year was close to $65,000 with a bachelor's degree across all the majors that we offer. Some degrees like engineering, the average was closer to 80 actually, and you know, some others 55 six to 60. So, so the, the outcomes of this place is incredible. LTU is really a, a great place to aspire to being it because it's providing that kind of interdisciplinary STEM-focused education that is so needed and, and so on. Uh, this place's differentiators are amazing. You know, no, nobody in, in LTU graduates without one or two co-ops or internships at top-notch companies. Our employment percentage is literally 100%. I mean, my problem here, like people like me, when we get asked by reporters and such about our outcomes, graduation outcomes, first question is that, like your average starting salary, which is the highest now for LTU and all of the states, including some amazing public universities, which is kind of really impressive. 
The second is what is the percentage of your students who graduate and find a job within six months? That's a very typical question to be asked of a university administrator. And I usually tell them, my problem is not to get our students jobs. My problem is to keep them till they graduate because they get the job offers right after the first co-op or internship. My problem is not to get them job. That's not the, it's a good problem to have, but, <laughs> but seriously, that's what it is. That's really what it is. The shortage is amazing. Our kids are incredibly talented, very, very well trained. Uh, our motto here, even before I came for the 90 years of our existence has been theory and practice. Uh, very experiential uh, education, co-ops and internships are prevalent. Indice projects are in the classes, not only at the senior design level, but at the level of freshman and sophomore classes, driven by industry and provided by industry and supervised by industry professionals. But percentage of our faculty members are either working with us here part-time or come from very significant industry R&D background or consulting background. So it's very real, very, very high-tech research. We're very, very well funded by research and sponsored research, either by industry or federal government and agencies and research, national research labs and such, which provides for our undergraduates amazing research experiences. And also to be very honest, which is important in a discussion like this, Sarah, our value proposition makes sense. Uh, when, when you have students who are guaranteed to come here and, and again, we're private, we're not cheap. Sticker price is expensive, like any private school. But the math makes a difference, right? I mean, if you come here and if you're really a good student, and I know, particularly within the Chaldean community and, you know, the general Middle Eastern community, uh, students are good. You know, they are pushed by the parents to study hard and do well and get the A grades. Otherwise, it's a big problem. I, I know. <laughs> I'm from that community. So they will get, of course, merit scholarships, given that they will typically perform well in high school. But on top of that, the opportunity for doing one or two co-ops in, in very exciting fields and earning $30,000 in a couple of summers, well, that's a tuition of you know one year right there, right? Or one and a half years. Yeah, it's the a great incentive. The, the opportunity, which everyone does, the opportunity to work on campus in a research lab or an architectural studio or in a workshop as a work-study student and earn you know, 15 to 20 bucks an hour, you know, 10 hours a week, you know, 50 weeks a year well that's another year's tuition or two right there right mm -hmm. so that and if you're good enough and you come in and you get one of our top scholarships which is anywhere between 10 to twenty thousand dollars you add these three numbers together right the twenty thousand dollar scholarship the thirty thousand dollar employment compensation in a couple of summers and another 10 to 20 from you know the uh, uh you know the uh uh, on campus, on campus, uh, undergraduate research experience or work study positions, this is your tuition. That's like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars right there, or you know, somewhere in that region, right? So it does really make a difference. And to be able, and and when you see, for example, in public schools, uh, public universities, the the sticker price is less, right? You know, because of course, public tuition. I mean, get funding, in state tuition is 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 less because we fund that ourselves from our taxes, right? But when you see the in-state tuition, and it is, for example, the twenty thousand dollars a year, and you see ours, which is let's say thirty-five thousand, well, between the scholarship, right, balanced scholarship that we provide, between the co-ops and internships, between the work study positions and undergraduate research lab positions that we have on campus, actually. 
our tuition is not 35, it's probably close to 10 or less, right? Or much less, actually. So, so there are reasons why within the Chaldean community and within the Middle Eastern community, this is a place that makes sense. And this is one of my own aspirations, as you were mentioning, Sarah. Love to have more kids join us. Love to have more kids specialize on all of these futuristic uh, interdisciplinary cross-cutting measures, whether it's in you know, AI, cardiovascular perfusion in the health sciences, industry 4.0, robotics, automation, 3D printing of houses, you know, robotic surgery and, and telemedicine and bioinformatics. This is the future. We offer that. This is what industry needs. Industry supports it. It's experiential education in addition to amazing R&D on campus and guaranteed co-ops, internships, and work study and uh, undergraduate research positions on campus. This communication, this combination is the perfect, you know, combination for students really coming out from the Chaldean community and, and or the Middle Eastern community aspiring to do well in their professional mm -hmm. career. And as parents, uh, both, all of us know, we want our students to, and our children to be successful from day one. We want them to finish their undergraduate degree and be able to make informed adult decisions about their lives because they would have been trained and would have the capability, you know, with a, you know, with a starting wage that enables them to do that. And this is the place for it. So we'd love to see more, you know, on campus. I'm encouraged and happy in general because with this appointment, uh, uh, I'm seeing a, a surge of interest across the nation and people aspiring to leadership position in higher education and in research enterprises in general from similar backgrounds in the Middle East and, 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 and others, which is always wonderful and hoping that trend would continue, Sarah. So. Well, we're seeing more and more um, Chaldeans go into profession, you know, professional professions. Um, <clears throat> we had no idea how many doctors there were until COVID hit, you know, and we started celebrating the healthcare heroes, so many doctors in, you know, so many um, doctors in the Chaldean community, um, more and more, I think, you know, their parents came here, um, you know, a lot of, if you know the Chaldean history, you know, a lot of store owners. So there was a lot of store owners, but those parents wanted their kids to get a better education, wanted them to become professionals. I, I really think that you're going to see a lot of um, Chaldeans applying for for LTU, especially now that you're there. And is I, 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 I have no doubt, and I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen in many, few, not many, but few events, you know, in the last year or so. Uh, you know, members of the Chaldean community from both generations, right? The generation mm -hmm. of you know, my children, for example, and the generation of, uh, you know, our, our parents or us, you know, having moved, uh, you know, uh, to the US. And I've seen that. I've seen that the students are very much supported by their parents to pursue education to the maximum level that they can attain so they can become the professionals that they need to become. I've seen wonderful engineers from the Chaldean community. I've seen graduating recently. I've seen great professional uh, other professional, you know, Chaldeans within the areas of law, and some of them are judges that I've had the chance to meet, and some of them are interning for, uh, clerking for other judges, want to be in that kind of profession. I've seen lots of 
physicians, as you mentioned, of course, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and again, I, I know really, I mean, given the aspirations of the parents, the administration of the new generation, that this place, I mean, LPU is truly the perfect place. Uh, it guarantees the, the, the graduation of professionals who are very, very much capable of standing their own, making a difference and, and doing very well in the future economy of the 21st century or pursuing graduate studies within the areas of cho their choice, whether that is at the PhD level in areas like engineering or sciences or whether it's in the medical field as MDs or dentists or, you know, or what the favorite profession is. Uh, or uh, obviously, uh, alternatively, uh, uh, going into into law, for example, and law school and, and choosing mm -hmm. their profession. Uh, so yeah, I, I uh, from your mouth, as they say in my country, to God's ear, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I look forward to it, and I and I hope that my presence would be an attractor for the community and for the parents to uh, uh, to have their children, of course, entrusted to to law study, of course. I could sit here and listen to you all day, Dr. So, but I, I, I think that's probably a good place to end this interview. I'm going to um, write up some stuff. If I have any questions, I'll just email you. Sure. Okay. And, and, and again, I, I feel free to call or email or, or you know, contact me anytime. It's a pleasure. And, and I'd love to be involved more and more with the community in general, of course, on top of the profile. Yeah, we're going to do questions? CEO dinner for you, I think, in August. I, yeah. I, I think so. I, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that my schedule has been like horrendous, doesn't even begin to describe it actually. But, but I can imagine. But can hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get better after July. But I look very, I very much look forward to it. And thank you for your time, Sarah. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email or call me and, and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to, to, to get through it. Okay. Thank you very much. Have fun on Thursday. And, uh, Enjoy. What's the weather going to be like Thursday? Is it good weather? It's going to be hot. Oh, it is. Like yeah. really hot? Oh, like okay. 90 hot. Better than raining all day, though, right? I yeah, mean, that's so. true. That's okay. true. Okay, enjoy and have fun. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.